Greetings and welcome to Smart Loving Conversations, the place where we discuss all things Catholic marriage. I'm Francine Parola. And I'm Laura Kane from Smart Loving, a global network that accompanies couples as we together explore how to maximise the good times and learn from the bad ones. With our guests, we explore love, marriage, family and living the Catholic faith, setting our sights on heaven while keeping our feet on the ground or in the mud and muck that life throws our way. We've been there and so have our guests. Join us for better and for worse as we dive deep into real-life conversations of struggle and triumph. Welcome, friends and listeners of Radio Maria Australia. Our smart, loving conversation today is going to focus on the marriage catechumenate. And this is a new idea from the Vatican that's getting a lot of attention, so we wanted to unpack it in this latest smart, loving conversation. But before we get into the topic of the marriage catechumenate, we want to talk about our faith walk. And so, Fran, how has your walk with the Lord been these past days? Oh, Laura, well, uh, great to be with you again. I've just recently done the Life's Healing Journey Retreat with Father Ed Travers. He's a missionary of the Sacred Heart based here in Kensington, but we attended it as part of a small group of Catholic therapists and an intensive two days weekend version of it very packed but really really rich and so helpful quite confronting actually like it was it wasn't just one of those things you kind of coast along and you come out feeling like oh yeah that was that was a nice little pat on the back it was really leading us to think deeply about some of the things in our lives that we perhaps haven't addressed or resolved or are still sort of playing havoc in the background so it's sort of like a bit of a uh, sort of like a grief processing a healing sort of past hurts and things so but very very powerful highly recommend it well my faith walk over the past few days was we attended the sydney clergy conference because yourself and byron were speaking fran to a group of sydney priests and so we had a little smart loving stall there and we're handing out materials but it was just so uplifting spending time with a huge room full of priests yeah it was amazing (laughs) yeah just so they've given their lives to serve and seeing them in brotherhood with each other and uplifting each other and getting tips and tools Mm. and enriching their own vocations um to be better priests very encouraging i saw one of the priests yesterday and he was commenting how much he enjoyed the talk, but also that he had taken some of the principles that we talked about into a meeting with some of his youth group leaders and they're sort of relaunching. And he was saying, we use that model. So we're going to, um, that, that's kind of great to hear that we actually gave them something practical that they could take away and implement as happening. Well, in this episode, we will be discussing what you were talking to the parish priests about as well. And that is the idea of the vision of the marriage catechumenate. So I wanted to interview you, Fran, about this concept and vision from the Vatican and from Pope Francis. And I know that you have done a lot of reading and research into this. You've given two presentations so far recently to seminarians and to the priests across Australia. So in this Smart Loving Conversations, I wanted to explore that with you. I want to explore what it would take to set up a marriage catechumenate or continue to develop a marriage catechumenate if it's already started um, and how it could be a real game changer in our church, both in the church in Australia and globally and how it could also really change families and empower and activate couples to use their unique spiritual gifts. So let's get into it. I might ask you the the first question. So in the recent synods on the family, they've been talking about the marriage catechumenate. So can you just give us some historical context about the term? Yep, sure. So marriage catechumenate as a term in itself, I hadn't heard that until we had those synods on the family prior to Amoris Laetitia being released. So I think it was 2015 and 2017. I think they were two years apart or maybe one year apart. And that's quite unusual to have two synods on the same topic. And that was a deliberate strategy by Pope Francis because he really wanted the topic of family life to be not just like to, to open up the the issues and then for the participants to go back to their communities and really explore them so that when they came back for the second time, they'd have the benefit of having more deeply reflected on those and bringing in a sort of a more nuanced and, and deeper understanding. So that was when it first came up. Now, it might have been used in smaller groups prior to that, but certainly the first time I heard it coming out of 
the global church. It's really a an evolution of the idea that's been kicking around for actually decades at the very least, beginning with perhaps the, the Pontifical Council of the Family under Pope John Paul II and in the document from the Synod on the Family back, I think it was about 86, somewhere around then, Familiaris Consortio. And so that really identified this this notion of that marriage formation is more than just a cause for engaged couples. So I think most of us are familiar with you get married in the Catholic Church, you're required to do some kind of preparation course, just like we do for all sacrament preparation, we do a little course before it. But the marriage catechumen is trying to expand that idea, saying that's one part of it, but only one part. There's a whole lot of formation that goes on before we become engaged, and there needs to be formation that goes on afterwards. And so that's the idea that it's this sort of extended thing. It's also, I guess, the, the particularly unique thing about this idea of the marriage catechumen that's perhaps different to the sort of the stages of formation that was presented previously is that it's kind of trying to model it on the RCIA. Right. So that's it's a little bit more of a, a different thing about what Morris Letty or what the marriage catechumen is suggesting to the Familiaris Consortio. And when you say RCIA, for anyone unfamiliar with that term, what does that mean? So that stands for the right of Christian initiation of adults, and that's the process that the churches uses for when adult members are coming to be become full members of the church. So it typically would be a year or more in terms of the total process. It depends a little bit. There's this kind of like this pre-inquiry period or this inquiry period which where the person might be in conversation with, with some local priests or with a diocesan representative but they haven't yet made a decision to formally explore it. But when they do, then they would go through, they have a a right of election, and they formally start the catechumenate. Different parishes have slightly different models. In our parish, it usually starts around September, and they meet every week in the community with some leaders from the parish to explore the Catholic faith and pray together. And then when they come to the beginning of Lent, formally decide at that point that, yes, they are serious about becoming a Catholic. And so they go into the next stage, which is a preparation to receive the sacraments at the Easter liturgies. And then after that, there is a stage called the mystagogy. So where they're exploring the faith and consolidating it into their life. So it's kind of this idea of there's several stages and there's rites that mark the transition so that that's, you know, discernment over an extended period of time. And it's the same principle for the marriage catechumenate. So not just a course that an engaged couple does, but walking with a couple as they're thinking about, are we called to get married? Exploring each other, exploring their relationship, exploring what the church understands marriage to be, and then transitioning. So in our common cultural understanding, in some ways, getting engaged is a right. It's a transition point. The wedding is a right. So all of those kinds of ideas can be incorporated into a marriage catechumenate model where you've got a process of you know, preparing and developing in your formation for marriage. Yeah, so those stages. Speaking about that, the synods have been talking about those stages and defining them. So correct me if I'm wrong, but they've rem- there's the remote stage, which is yep. if you're single, and I guess the remote stage would be even when you're a child, like that's you're, you're being formed in what you understand marriage to be and how healthy relationships mm. should look like. So there's the remote stage, the next stage proximate. So when you're okay. dating yep. somebody, you're in a relationship, you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend, maybe you're discerning marriage. And then you've got what they call immediate or final in some of the translations. It's immediate in the Familiaris Consortio. They call it final in the English translation of this latest oh. document from the Vatican called the Catechumenal Pathways for Married Life. Big terms, real mouthfuls. And so that would be in the immediate stage that you'd be considered you're engaged, you've got the ring on your finger if you're the female, and mm. you would be doing a marriage preparation course if you're getting married in the church. And then they've got that fourth stage of enrichment. So when you're already married, topping up your sacrament and yes. learning more and going deeper in, in, in your love for one another and in your faith. 
So, Fran, that's four, remote, proximate, immediate or final and enrichment. Do you think that there should be any others, any other stages? Yes, actually. We've maintained for many years that we need at least a fifth stage, which we would call empowerment or something along those lines. And the point of distinction about that one compared to the others is that I think all the others are really about what the individual or the couple is receiving for their own relationship and their own marriage, whereas empowerment is really a call to mission. And there is a very, I think for some couples never really get there. And so if we had it as a distinctive stage, we might be able to transition more couples to that. But it's it's really about going from an I, the mentality of my marriage serves me and my family to my marriage is meant to serve the world. And it's entering into a sense of mission that goes beyond our immediate family. It's really about taking that attitude of co-responsibility as um, a prophetic leader in the church. So, you know, a lot of Catholics say we really approach the church for what it can give us. And so we think about, well, I go to mass or I participate in my parish because it's good for us and it's good for our family. And it should be good. We don't want it to be bad for you, definitely, but it should be good for you. But there's a maturity in terms of the faith where we're going not just because it's good for us. We're not just going to consume the services in the parish, but we're also going to give back and to contribute and to be a contributor to the mission. And that notion of co-responsibility, I first heard that mentioned in this context by Pope Benedict, and he talked about the laity being co-responsible with the clergy. And so the idea is that the word might be new, but the idea has been there for a long time. We, we tend to, in the Catholic Church, think that the priests have all the control and all the responsibility and they run the show and we just show up and be obedient like good little children. That's never been the vision or the idea. That's that's a kind of, I think, a modern anomaly that is a distortion of what is really the truth, which is that we are all called as baptised Christians to be responsible for the mission of the church. And so there's been a much stronger emphasis, I think, coming through the church to really encourage that shift away from just consuming, but to stepping into this idea of being a contributor and an active participant and and an agent, if you like, of evangelisation in the mission. So that idea, taking on as a married couple, how can we practice servant leadership as a married couple and support other married couples or engaged couples or Mm. young people who are dating, give them advice about you know, marriage isn't meant to make us happy. It's meant to make us holy. And mm. how can we show that and share that with others? How can I practice servant leadership instead of just exactly. taking from the church? Well, what spiritual gifts do we have to offer to help other people in those other stages of that marriage catechumenate journey? You know, whether it's giving advice to single people or helping an engaged couple or encouraging Absolutely. another married couple in their own journey. Well, let's pause there and go to a break and come back with some more questions about the marriage catechumenate. Smart Loving Discern is a course for dating couples considering engagement. One of the most critical decisions you will make in your life is the decision to marry. Not only does it have lifelong implications, the decision to marry sets in motion a series of events that carry you towards that commitment with considerable force. Some of the really important questions that a discerning couple needs to ask include, am I ready to marry? Is my partner ready to marry? Is my partner the right person for me to marry? Is our relationship ready for the next stage of commitment? And most importantly, what is God asking of me and of us? If you need some help to think through the decision to get engaged and you want to take your relationship to the next level, Smart Loving Discern gives you a quality learning experience anytime, anywhere. Visit smartloving.org forward slash discern to enrol now. Welcome back listeners to Radio Maria Australia. You've been listening to Smart Loving Conversations and I have been interviewing Francine Parola, Director of Smart Loving, and we are talking about the marriage catechumenate and breaking that open and what it means and exploring it and how it can really empower our families and our marriages and our church in Australia. Fran, thank you for going through the marriage catechumenate, giving us a bit of a historical background, going through some of the stages of that journey that Pope Francis is talking about. What is really distinctive about this proposal about the marriage catechumenate? What's, is there any original ideas that have come out 
as a result yeah. of this and you think that's new and exciting and fresh? There's a couple of them there that I'm really encouraged by. The first one is that's grounded in evangelization. Uh, and that's really defined as the end goal of the marriage catechumen. It's all about bringing people into faith. So just to take a, an aside from when we talk about evangelization, the church's teaching is really clear that it, we exist, the church exists to evangelize. It's to bring people into a deeper relationship with Christ. That should be distinguished from proselytization, which is a little bit of more of a forceful kind of preaching that's demanding, that kind of doesn't respect people's free will, perhaps that, you know, lays guilt or pressure or threatens to remove support or services if they don't comply by entering into the faith. That's proselytization and that's not what evangelization is. That's a very toxic misdirection of the evangelization mission. Evangelization is about conforming ourselves to Christ, going deeper into relationship with Christ ourselves so that we can faithfully represent the love of God to others and invite them into a relationship with the Lord. And that's really about spreading the gospel. That's why the church exists. And so are you that- saying that Pope Francis is saying that the marriage catechumenate and taking people along from dating yeah. to being in a couple, to being engaged, to being married, it should all be grounded in evangelization, not necessarily just teaching them how to have healthy relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And that's quite a different kind of approach. A lot of the courses that are currently being presented in the church, they're fabulous on the relationship skills, but they're not so strong on this idea of how do we live this marriage under the providence of God? How do we come closer to God through this relationship? And on the other hand, there's courses that do the theology really well and can explain what the theological relevance of marriage is to the church's mission but then they don't necessarily have strong aspects around helping the couple develop good relationship skills. So we think that the best thing is, and the the marriage catechumenate document says this explicitly, that it needs to be integrated. All of these things need to be part of a good formation. Uh, We don't want to neglect one for the other. And that kind of makes sense. Like as human beings, we don't just exist in one world or the other. We're, We're an integrated whole. So bringing together the psychology, practical tools and the real realities of everyday life with the spiritual life and the theological understanding is just real to being human where all of those things so let's make sure we include all of those things in a marriage catechumen so that's one idea that it's there's this evangelization emphasis that's kind of the primary goal but then also making sure that everything is integrated and we're covering all those bases the second emphasis is um, on discernment comes through really strongly in the documents. And this is in response to, I think, issues around the increasing breakdown in marriage, the fact that so many of those marriages that that do break down are determined to be invalid, which might be a comfort to those at that stage who want to remarry, that their first marriage was considered invalid. But it's also a bit of a tragedy in that, well, if it was invalid from the very beginning, what could we have been doing differently to help prevent that situation arising in the first place? And so this idea of discernment, of really preparing the couple or helping the couple to think very much about what are they committing to? Are they ready to commit to a Catholic marriage? Can they do that fully and freely? And is this the vocation with this person that they are actually called to? So it goes, this discernment goes hand in hand with vocation. So it's not just, hey, we're in love, we want to get married, we want to have it in a church building. If that's a wedding at a church, it's getting married at a church. This is about moving from that idea where it's not just about a venue and pretty photos and a convenient location to the idea of we're entering into a covenant with each other, but also a vocation for the church to serve the church. So it's it's that kind of goes hand in hand with the first idea. And that's a little bit different, I think. Most of the marriage preparation programs, really, they just assume that that discernment has already happened, that the couple has already they've made the decision to get married and there's nowhere else to go with that. Whereas I think what they're asking us here is to think about, okay, they might have made a decision to get engaged, but are they ready to actually form a Catholic marriage? Yes. And is this what God is calling them exactly. to? They could be being called by God to marriage, but is it with it this person or another person? So even in that engaged period, you're still discerning if that's mm. you haven't made your sacred vows yet and you're 
entering yeah. that next stage. Like we need to seriously discern this now because it's coming up to the crunch time. Yeah. yeah. So some couples have done your smart, loving, engaged course, Francine, and discerned that actually, even though they are engaged, they are being called to something else. They're not right together. I don't know, red flags have come up as a result. Maybe they're not on the same page with each other about some really important topics. Yeah. So tell us about that. Is that a, a good thing, do you think? All good marriage preparation programs should do that for couples. And we've always seen it, even though it's really hard and it's very sad for the individuals because they're really wounded and it's a hard thing to do to break off an engagement and break up the relationship. We always see that as a success story because the chances are that that would not have been a relationship that would have survived anyway. And it's much better to break up before the wedding and before children have come along and so on. So a good course should not so much aim to break people up. Obviously, we're working towards consolidating and building their foundation so that they have a really solid relationship in the future. But a good course should help them give them the skills and raise the topics and put them into the space where they can actually face into some of the issues that maybe they haven't even thought of or maybe they just haven't had the courage to address. And if that leads them, if that process leads them to discern, you know what, I don't think I can spend the rest of my life with this person or I'm not ready myself to make this commitment, I need to take some more time to mature, that's a great outcome. That, yes. That's that's a course doing what it's supposed to do in terms of discernment and vacation. Okay. so. The original ideas about the marriage catechumen, it's grounded in evangelization. There's an emphasis on discernment. Yeah. And what about the idea of it should be a journey? It's an extended mm. time period. Do you think that we've fallen into a trap of, oh, engaged couple, let's send them off to a weekend course, done and dusted, they've ticked the box. What's the problem with that as opposed to seeing it as an extended time period and a journey? So, well, to start with, in the marriage catechumenate model, the formation starts from the day you're born or possibly even the womb, where there's been exposure of the child to the relationship with the parents and there's messages all the way through childhood. So there's the idea that we're being formed in our attitudes and expectations and beliefs about marriage through exposure to the marriages in our home in our growing up. So that's one aspect of this idea of it's it's already happening. We just don't recognise it or we don't put any conscious sort of emphasis into making the most of those opportunities sometimes. So that's one idea of the extended journey starts before, but also that it goes beyond the wedding day into the newlywed years. And one of the reasons why this is particularly important is that it's a bit, if you think about parenting, I mean, you can do a parenting course before you have the baby, but there's nothing like, oh, right, we're in the midst of this problem right now. Our child won't sleep or our child you know, has some issue with, you know, is doing tantrums and we don't know how to handle it. If you're not in the midst of it, it's kind of hypothetical. Mm-hmm. So you can learn it, but you're not getting the opportunity to really put the things you're learning to the test. And so having that extended accompaniment into the newlywed years enables the couple to have that sort of support from the community while they're actually, the rubber's hitting the road. Right. And we've had this argument. I know you told us what we need to do when we've had an argument, but can we revisit that with you and can you guide us through what are the steps we need to take to repair the damage and heal our relationship? That kind of thing. So that kind of extended period is really, really valuable, I think. And and we know even from the research that over around 50% of marriage breakdowns the separation happens within the first five years of marriage Mm. so those first five years are really vulnerable years that's when they're trying to transition from single life into adapting to living together as a couple even if they've been living together prior to marriage there is still a major adjustment happening because they're now in a kind of a permanent lifelong relationship whereas before kind of like the door was still half open you know if it got too hard they could bolt Mm. now they've made they've closed the door They're both together for the rest of their life. There's a different sort of gravity to tackling some of these issues. So there's that extended time period is very important. And so the accompaniment, I was just smiling as you were talking, Fran, because often when my husband and I are sponsoring an engaged couple, 
will say, okay, so have you had a disagreement lately or an argument? I'm like, oh, we don't argue. I'm like, okay, well, when you do, because <laughs> as, the, as the wedding date comes sooner, when you do, we're going to practice, you know, the conflict resolution tool that we've just gone through in that lesson. And um, and then it's always quite funny, you know, a couple of weeks later, they're like, the fiance will come back or the girl will say, we've had a fight and we got to practice our homework. And that yeah. idea of accompaniment, that long-term spiritual support, they're in that love bubble, but sure enough, they're going to have tough times. Two people, two different souls, two different bodies, male and female, they're going to come up with friction and how do you resolve that? And so if Mm -hmm. you can do that with some spiritual support of another married couple who's been there and done that and provide that faith-based friendship, that's what Pope Francis is talking about, that that importance of that accompaniment is quite powerful. Yeah. And, in fact, in the document it was curious because the – Initial emphasis was all about this couple who's presenting for marriage. And so working with them from an inquiry type period through to the wedding and then into the newlywed years. But then the document spent quite a bit of time then talking about accompaniment for couples in crisis. And it was a little bit of an outlier in terms of the rest of the document. And so that's obviously, and I would say, well, you need accompaniment more than just when you're in crisis. Sometimes you just need it for going to the next level in your relationship. You know, like you just want to be able to transition into a new stage or you're, you're going from, well, we were a newlywed couple and now we're about to become parents. That's a big adjustment. It's not necessarily a crisis, but it's a, an adjustment time. And so that, um, that, that accompaniment through those transitions can be really valuable. Thanks so much, Fran, for breaking that open for us. Let's go to a break and we'll come back and unpack this topic more. The Marriage Kit by Smart Loving is an online course for married couples wanting a lasting, passionate relationship. The course will allow you to grow in your understanding of each other and strengthen your bond with thought-provoking insights and practical skills. Research shows that relationship education can help you and your spouse improve your communication and conflict resolution skills, strengthening your relationship and reducing family breakdown. Gift certificates for the Marriage Kit are also available if you would like to purchase the course for a friend or family member and their spouse. Visit smartloving.org forward slash marriage kit. Welcome back, listeners and friends of Radio Maria Australia. We're talking about the marriage catechumenate with Francine Parola, Smart Loving Director. And in the catechumenal pathways for married life, Pope Francis in the preface, Fran, he talks about the disparity between the treatment of the formation for vocations, for example, the formation of a priest who's in formation for his priesthood who would study anywhere between seven to ten years for his vocation, plus after they become a priest, they'd probably go on a retreat Mm. every year to spend some really, you know, carved-out time with the Lord. Now, Pope Francis is comparing that to the preparation of an engaged couple, and he's lamenting that there's this huge difference in the amount of care, attention, and time given by the church to these two very important vocations. And he says quite strong wording that this disparity is unjust. So it's a strong statement from Pope Francis. What are your thoughts on that, Francine? Look, the analogy is not a new one. That's been kicking around by a lot of people for a long time. But calling it unjust is a little bit different. And in some ways it is. But I guess I would also say that it's not just that the church isn't prepared to offer it. There's often some resistance from the engaged couples. And that comes from the fact, I think, that for many of them, they resent actually the requirement to do a course because their relationship is great. That's why they're getting married. They're so happy together and everything seems to be going so well. And so they don't have a sense that they need support or assistance in terms of their relationship itself. They often don't realize that there's a whole theological understanding about the sacrament that they just don't know anything about, which is a part of the courses. But they're thinking in terms of their relationship that, well, we're fine. We talk, we're great communicators. We're not at risk of marriage breakdown. Mm. Of course, we all know that there's a significant proportion of those who do, in fact, hit the wall and and their marriages don't survive. So part of, I guess, the church as a mother, and Pope Francis does use that analogy a lot, the church as the mother, 
is that sometimes you do have to hold your feet, your children's feet to the fire a little bit when they're resisting it. You know, it's just like teaching our children to clean their teeth. And I don't mean to sound derogatory towards engaged couples or members of the church. We're adults, obviously, but just as an analogy, that sometimes as parents, we do have to really require our children to do certain things like clean their teeth and learn proper hygiene or go to school and learn how to read. They don't like it. They'd rather be climbing trees and eating candy all day and not worrying about their teeth. But when their teeth fall out, they're going to wish that we had taken more care with teaching them how to clean their teeth and look after do that dental hygiene. And so I think as a mother church, we do need to step into the space as an issue of justice to not just require couples to do sort of a more extended formation, but also to make sure that the formation we provide is really high quality content. Let's not present them with rubbishy stuff or unprofessional, but they should be very good quality courses. The materials that we present should be beautifully designed. They should be well produced. We should make sure as much as possible that the encounters they have in that process are very experiential so that they are experiencing the benefits of the courses straight away. So they're applying it into their relationship and getting a taste of, oh, actually, we thought we were good communicators, but you've just shown us that we weren't as good as we thought we were. Now we have some skills and some tools and some frameworks that we can use that has taken our communication to a level we didn't even know existed. So we want to make sure there's that kind of really positive experience in the course. Yes. And then the other thing would be to say is that let's be creative around how we do this formation and give way on things that maybe aren't necessary but can mean a lot to the couple. So one of the most common reasons cited for coming to our course, which is provided for most couples through the online learning platform, is that they just love the flexibility. They can log in at 9pm at night and spend an hour on a time that's convenient to them. They don't have to show up at a venue on a predetermined time that is set for the convenience of the presenter, they can make their way through the course content and on their own schedule. That's hugely valuable to them. And that's kind of like something we can give them without compromising on any of the other things right. in terms of the quality. And we can still follow up with them and have in-person contact and so on. But that's something that's giving back to them from terms of what we have been doing as the norm so that we can perhaps ask a little bit more of them in terms of the duration that the course might go for. And very practical if they're shift workers or don't have a regular nine-to-five job or are working on weekends. And that's when we usually have, you know, church events on a a weekend or a Saturday morning or an evening. Well, if that doesn't work for a couple because of these new kind of work schedules and shifts Mm. that the modern couple has, we need to be flexible and um, pastorally sensitive to that. And even we get quite a few couples where they're living in two different countries. Right. So they can't physically attend a course together. If they do a course, one's going to be sitting by themselves, processing it as without their fiancé in one location, the other in another. Well, they're not going to get the benefits of interacting as a couple because they're learning two different courses. And there can be differences in, you know, the different frameworks and things. But at least that they're in a common course online, they can be connecting with video conferencing to talk about it and really getting probably 90% of the benefit of actually if they lived in the same city and could do that process in person. Well, Smart Loving being an Australian-based ministry, which has obviously focused your mission on supporting and enriching couples, how is your apostolate working to implement this vision of the marriage catechumenate? Yeah, so our main, the course with the most number of participants is the engaged course. We've moved all of our resources online. Many of them are still available to purchase for leaders to run in an in-person setting in their local community, but most couples encounter our materials through the online learning environment. I think one of the great benefits of that is that it allows us to time efficiently and resource efficiently move away from the compressed time frame of an intensive. So the practical reality is if you're going to get couples to come to you for an in-person event, you're probably going to try and do it in a single day or two days so that they're not spending so much time traveling backwards and forwards. That compressed time frame vastly diminishes the benefit to the couple because they don't have that downtime in between each topic to live life as normal and apply the ideas there. Here's Mm. all the information in eight hours or five hours, you know, and how do you 
process that. It's hard to comprehend and remember all of that great content. Exactly. And even in, like, if we even look at the way schools operate, we don't do maths beginning to end on Mondays, English on Tuesdays, science on Wednesdays. We actually do a little bit of maths each day of the week so that there's that consolidation and integration time in between. And and that's a good educational pedagogy. But if we're in the mindset of it has to be an in-person course, it necessarily pushes us to this model of this compressed time frame intensive. And I think we lose a lot of benefit on that. One of the things that we're doing is putting things online. We're focusing on enabling parishes to host their marriage preparation from within the parish. So instead of in the past, couples have been sent by the parish to a diocesan or a, a regional provider to do a course, they kind of go away and do that independently of the parish and just come back with a certificate. And the parish or the celebrant really hasn't got a lot of input into that. We're really working on how do we keep this in the parish where the parish priest can be um, involved in the process, can be part of forming the relationship, can be part of the team with a local parish couple, a sponsor couple that could accompany that engaged couple. And that's very much aligned with the marriage catechumen that that it's this as a formation team that is supporting this couple throughout the process. So you so have when, your parish priest, your engaged couple, and a married couple from the parish yes. journeying with that engaged couple as they progress through your course. Yep. And I guess that would empower it enriches the married couple too because they are then sharing their own wisdom and yep. the best way to learn something is by becoming the teacher or the mentor exactly. so you can see that beautiful cycle of enrichment plus yes. as well as training of the, yes. yes everybody benefits yeah and we've often said lauren you might have heard us say it that the mission field if you look at the number of engaged couples so in australia there's less than ten thousand catholic weddings a year at the moment it's probably closer to eight thousand because it has been on a bit of a declining trajectory as few people get married at all, but also are getting married outside of the church. Those that would be normally eligible to marry in the Catholic Church are often choosing a beach wedding or a wedding at the vineyard and foregoing the, the Catholic wedding. So maybe let's say 8,000 a year, but every weekend in the pews on a Sunday, there's hundreds of thousands of Catholic couples in Australian parishes. That's the real mission field. Many of those did not have great formation before they got married, and most of them have had nothing since. Mm. So how do we connect with those couples? And we think one of the most effective ways is not just to invite them to do something for themselves, but to invite them to give something to an engaged couple. It's a short-term commitment. We're not asking them to sign up for years and years of ministry. Just meet with this engaged couple, pray with them, support them, share some of your experiences with them. While they're doing the course, the married couple's doing the sponsor version of the course, so they're getting some enrichment for their own marriage. And typically we find that sponsor couples come out at the end of that process so encouraged in their own relationship, they've consolidated sort of weaknesses or cracks in their own relationship. The course has helped them to address some of those uh, and they're on fire. They're ready for the next one or for the next thing in the parish. That's wonderful. And so the sponsor couple would also be doing the course in parallel with the engaged couple. So refreshing if they haven't had good marriage preparation, they're getting it for the first time. Or if they have got good marriage preparation, they're refreshing themselves with those concepts. and. Wonderful. And is there any other follow-up, Francine, you mentioned that the newlywed years, one to five years, is a dangerous time. Do you have in your apostolate and your ministry any follow-up for the newlyweds in that time period? Yeah, look, we do. And this is still being developed, which is not yet at a mature stage for us. But we have two things that we do. The first is that we have a customised follow-up campaign. So at the end of the Engage course, we survey all of our graduates around their experience. We're taking feedback from them all the time so we can continue to improve the course, obviously, but also what do they require more support for or additional input? And that puts them onto a customised follow-up email campaign. So if they've said they wanted some information about becoming a Catholic, perhaps one of them is not a Catholic and they'd be interested in exploring that, we have a series of emails that will come into their inbox over the coming months with some ideas and some tips, resources, links for where to go in their respective diocese to get more information about if they want to pursue that. 
So we do that. We have that customised. And then we also have our newlywed course, and that is included, or newlywed program, that's included with every engaged couple sale. And that at the moment is just an email program. So uh, once a month, um, they will get an email in their inbox on a topic that just explores that topic, gives them a little bit of input, some questions for them to think about, and then some things to discuss together. And so we're hoping that at that part of it, we might be able to develop that into something more substantive, perhaps with some videos or podcasts and things. But it could be done individually as a couple, or it could also be done with small groups, perhaps in parish settings. So that would be another way for a parish to continue the support of an engaged, their engaged graduates or their newlywed couples. Great to know. Thank you for giving a bit of an overview of what Smart Loving is doing to support and enrich couples. Let's pause for a break now and we'll come back to talk about this more. Smart Loving Fertility. There's a smarter way to manage your fertility, one that works with your body, your marriage and your faith. Smart Loving Fertility is an online course based on the symptothermal method. It incorporates a unique blend of scientific insights with relationship frameworks and Catholic theology to foster intimacy and help you flourish as a couple. The course will allow you to grow closer as a couple, to raise a family and keep your marriage vibrant, manage your fertility naturally, confidently, and with more freedom. Visit smartloving.org forward slash fertility. Gift certificates are also available if you want to purchase the fertility course for a friend or family member. Welcome back, friends and listeners, to Radio Maria Australia. I am interviewing today Francine Proler on the topic of the marriage catechumenate, and Francine's explained what it is, how the ministry and her apostolate with her husband Byron is working on supporting and enriching and developing the marriage catechumenate here in Australia and globally. So, Fran, I wanted to talk about a really interesting group called Communio. They're a not-for-profit group, and they are pushing the idea um, and the belief that the key to evangelization is through the family and through the renewal of healthy relationships. I read an interesting statistic from Communio. They're working with churches to help churches help couples and help families and help marriages. And they had a statistic that eight hours of relationship education can significantly reduce relationship breakdown. So that's eight hours of relationship education per year, I should add. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was fascinating and goes to what we were talking about before about Pope Francis saying that the treatment of different vocations is is unjust and we, the example of a priest going on retreat yep. every year for their own vocation. So that, that eight hours of relationship education a year is very interesting. And another statistic they had was that 78% of people in the pews are coming from families where the mum and dad are still together in a marriage. Mm. So with family fragmentation rising in terms of maybe the mum and dad aren't together anymore, we're seeing with that trend of family fragmentation that there's also a decline in people attending church. So that if you come from a family where the mum and dad aren't together anymore, you're less likely to regularly attend church which is really interesting so can you comment on that Fran yeah sure yeah look Communio is doing some great work and they've got a lot of data-driven objectives and analysis which is very very helpful because you can then test whether what you're doing is actually really working or working as well as something else um, so worth checking out that they're based in the United States. Look, the family fragmentation is rising. It has been for decades. We've known that. That's not news to anybody. And it's not just marriages breaking down. It's also the formation of the marriages often isn't happening. So we've got an increase in childbirth outside of wedlock, single parents. So there never was a marriage in that case. Interestingly, what we have also know is that the church attendance by different generations has been on the decline. So if you compare baby boomers to Gen X and to millennials, you see a steady decline in church attendance, which is just one measure of the faith life. It's not the only measure and it's not necessarily the best measure, but it's one that we can actually get data on relatively easily. What they've found is that if you control for the marital status of the families from which those people come from, you see almost no change in the proportion who attend church. 
So in the background, as, as the church attendance has been declining over the generations, in the background has been this family fragmentation factor in there. And so when you control for that, you don't see the decline. So it sort of raises a question. It's not approving that the family breakdown is causing decline in church attendance, but there's a very strong correlation. So we really do need to look at that and think about how can we use that information. And I think what it points to is that one of the ways that we as leaders in the church, we can, if you like, plug the hole of people leaving the church. What You, know, you can recruit new people in or we can try to plug the hole of people leaving. The most effective way to do that might well be by strengthening marriage. And if all it takes is eight hours of relationship education a year to keep a couple together that's perhaps on a shaky space, that should be very doable in most yeah, parishes. Absolutely. That's so interesting. And it's a great vision and idea. And you just want to try it. makes me want to try it out. Like, let's run marriage enrichment across Australia in all our churches. But obviously, it's going to take a lot of energy and resources to do that. And this is going to be a long-term goal that we might need to develop over the next Mm. decade, two decades, century. I would would push it out to a century for this to really get consolidated. I mean, it's already over 50 years or about 50 years, I guess, from Familiaris Consortio with those stages of marriage formation, which was really, I guess, the first formal time that we saw this idea of, hey, we should be thinking seriously about formation across the whole life cycle, not just before the wedding. Yeah. So it's already 50 years and we haven't really moved the dial very much in that time. It's it's still a lot of resistance to moving into this new way of thinking about it. And this is the way we've always done it. Kind of thinking is pretty prevalent in the church and the church is 2000 years old. We've got time. I mean, it's, we don't, in one way it's urgent because there are people suffering and there are casualties from our inaction right here, right now. So in some ways I'm incredibly impatient to see this happen. But in other ways, I'm at peace with the fact that the Lord's timing is the Lord's timing and our responsibility is to just to do what we can in the time that he's given us and to trust that he has. He, he's the driver of the boat of the church and to trust that he knows where we're going. How do you think it's going to realistically pan out and with what what buttons do we need to push to make it happen? The marriage catechumenate document is quite explicit in saying that this is something for the whole church. So it's clear that it's not just, well, it's a little subgroup in the church that should be doing this. They're moving this very much into the centre of church activity, a bit like we all know that preparing children for sacraments, every parish does that. That's like the non-negotiable bread and butter of the parish. So what they're really talking about is saying, hey, marriage catechumenate, marriage ministry should be considered as essential to parish functioning as providing sacrament formation, preparation for kids. And that's going to take a combined, if not active investment of time from everybody in the parish, but at least the mindset of this is an essential service of the parish and we need to resource this. I think one of the things that's quite exciting about this proposition, and I hope it is an encouragement to parish leaders, is that we see marriage as a mission multiplier. And by what we mean by that is that when you, we've, we've seen this dynamic ourselves, that when you enrich a couple's marriage, when you help a husband or wife who maybe have a perfectly fine, but maybe a little bit stale marriage, they're just in the grind of raising children and mortgages and all of that stuff that goes on. They're fine. They're not at risk of breaking down, but they're just a little bit stale. If you invest in their relationship at that time and help them fall in love again, take their relationship to the next level of intimacy, it releases a powerhouse of energy that goes looking for a target. It's almost like uh, the accounting, the marital accounting. It's not like normal maths. God's maths, when it's got grace in it, you get much more out than you do when you put in. And we've seen that the example that we've seen this has been um, in the Antioch Youth Movement. Um, when that first came to Australia, the early 1980s, it took off like a rocket in Australia. There was at its peak, 20% of parishes in Australia had an Antioch Youth Group. They were meeting twice a week for, for a prayer meeting and for weekday mass. And then they were doing their weekends, usually twice a year, and recruiting new members into it. It was an absolute powerhouse. But what was driving it was the married couple leaders. We call them parent couples. And most of those came out of marriage encounter. 
So in the background, Marriage Encounter was running at its peak and it was producing couples that were on fire. They were in love and they were looking for something to do in the church and Antioch popped up and a lot of them got swept up into leadership in Antioch as youth movement. So the point being that when you invest in marriage, you don't just get better marriages. You get couples who are ready for ministry in lots of different areas. And you can put them to work in marriage and the marriage catechumenate documents suggest that, that the graduates of the marriage catechumenate after two to three years post-wedding, that they be integrated into the parish life and specifically as sponsors in the marriage catechumenate to engage couples. But they can also be deployed if there's the, the openness and the desire to contribute there's lots of other places that they to serve yes there's lots of other places that they can they can be and we're kind of adopting that idea a little bit and what we're doing in smart loving and that we're actively recruiting sponsors at the moment and we're reaching out to the graduates of our engaged course so we're giving them a couple of years just to settle into married life and then if their weddings was over two years ago we're reaching out inviting them to please consider giving back to the community by being a sponsor to an engaged couple. Yeah, if we can debate all those married couples and make, you know, as you said, marriage is a mission multiplier, how mm. wonderful. I think we'll see, we'll set the church on fire and see some real amazing yes. results. So thank you so much, Fran, for your overview of the marriage catechumenate and sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and your experience. And we want to wrap up like every smart loving conversation with a bless you. So Fran, what has been the thing that has blessed you in your faith this week or this month? <laughs> so it's not so much that blessed me, but we did get one of our readers who contacted in a comment, just they were on Kath Family website, and they had just thanked us for the Holy Week Explained. So it's a... Um, a little resource we prepared that just compiles some ideas for on the different events of Holy Week for families to do together that helps them enter into the spirit of Holy Week. And it was just saying, this is fantastic. I'm using this to prepare my catechumens, my catechumens for the sacraments at Easter. So that was a really lovely, um, just affirmation here. But it's not just good for catechumens. It's great for all sorts of families. So we'll put, put a link in the notes for the Holy Week Explained resource on Cath Family. Yeah, wonderful. Well, the thing that's blessed me this week or this month is if you've heard of EWTN, which stands for Eternal Word Television Network, they actually have a app. It's called EWTN Flicks. And if you download that app, you can watch their programming, um, including the Smart Loving series and Byron and Francine, um, who were interviewed by them, but as well as loads of other Catholic speakers and experts and teachers and get some great faith nourishment. So EWTN Flicks, and we've got a link to where you can download that app in our show notes. So that brings us to the end of our time together, friends. You can find more information, including, as I said, links to our blessings, to the show notes and more at smartloving.org forward slash conversations. That's www.smartloving.org forward slash conversations. I'm Laura Kane, and I was interviewing Francine Parola today, Director of Smart Loving. We pray that you will be blessed in your walk with the Lord today and this week, and we lift you up with all your intentions, to our patron saints, Our Lady, Undoer of Knots, pray for us. us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. This is Radio Maria Australia. Goodbye.